Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. We're in a series going through the book of Acts and we've been having a good time, or at least I have, and we've been looking at the Jerusalem summit or the summit at Jerusalem and this is going to be part four in a a small mini-series if you like. And today's topic is the importance of a letter. The importance of a letter. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to sidle up next to someone that has. I was going to say shame on you for not bringing a Bible, but sit next to someone who has got a Bible. And, you know, if anyone's listening kind of on the, to the MP3 online, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible because we're going to look at a few different things and it's going to call for you to give your attention to the text. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15 verse 22 to 35 and unusually I'm going to read from the New King James Version as opposed to the ESV and you'll see why in a little while. So Acts chapter 15 verse 22 I'm going to read through to verse 35. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Verse 24, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell." Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now, Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. Verse 34, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, if you were reading from the New King James or the King James, the authorized, you didn't flinch. If you had, an, if you had a, a, a different translation, then I suspect to some degree you realize why I read from that version and not another, and we're going to come back to this point. Now, when was the last time you received a handwritten letter? Well, I suppose it depends on how old you are. How many of you know that letter writing is a slowly diminishing, soon-to-be-lost art? Hardly anyone writes anymore. And when we have to, we struggle to. 
It's like, where do I put the address? Do I put it on the left-hand side or do I put it on the right-hand side? Or if we have to fill out applications, application forms, we're like, oh, can't I fill it out online? Or can't I just download a PDF or a Word document and do it on my computer? A lie? Now, I was hoping that my mum was going to be here today. She wasn't able to be here, but my mum, she buys envelopes and stamps like I buy memory sticks and printer ink. I see a sister over there say hallelujah. And the issue, and the point is, handwritten letters are soon to be extinct. I used to work in a post office and I heard that they've closed down a, 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 a many of the what they call MLOs, mechanized letter offices, because just the volume of mail is, is down. Handwritten letters will soon be extinct. Now, how many of you know many books in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, are letters? We have Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, James, I'm not so sure about Hebrews, Jude, first, no, I should have said 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, it says to the, to the seven churches that are in Asia, what? Right. Now, you notice I just went through the books of the Bible. We used to do that in children's ministry. And I, I encourage you to learn the books of the Bible, all 66 of them. Many of the books are actually not books, quote-unquote. They're actually letters. Letters. And Paul was probably the most prolific writer, I'm sure you'd agree, in the New Testament. Now, many commentators suggest that Paul personally wrote many of his letters, like Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, it says at the end, See what large letters... I am writing to you with my own hand. But then he dictated others, adding a greeting as his signature at the end for authenticity. So like Colossians chapter 1, sorry, Colossians chapter 4 verse 18, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting. Because in there he's all got all these greetings. I greet the person in this particular church and over there who helped me and support the ministry and the greetings he wrote with his own hand. And he says, remember my chains, grace be with you. I suspect some of the times when he was in prison, it was difficult for him to write. Some say even through jail bars, he particularly possibly could have dictated. Irregardless, we see handwritten letters. Today we'll see a letter outlining the conclusion of this conference that we've been talking about for the past three weeks this Jerusalem summit. Letters, <clears throat> or a letter, I should say, written on the basis of this conference, summing up the conference that's going to be sent out to the churches. And what was the conclusion? Well, the conclusion of the conference that's now going to be put in the letter is that the newly saved Gentile Christians did not need to be circumcised. And I'm sure back then you heard all the men say, Hallelujah. Neither did they have to keep the law of Moses. Now we've heard from the guest speakers at this conference. First of all, we heard Peter stand up. Then we heard Barnabas and we heard Paul in that order. And James stand up and all clarify the gospel of grace. Not works. They don't agree with those who are saying, yeah, you must believe in Jesus, but, or, yeah, you must believe in Jesus, and you now need to do this as well. They said, no, 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 no. We're not having any of that in terms of adding to the gospel that saves only by the grace of God. And the fact that Gentiles as well as Jews 
are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. This is what they want to communicate clearly, and it, and it echoes what has been known as, or been, been termed as the five solas, right? And it's that salvation only comes by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, based on scripture alone, bringing glory to God alone. <clears throat> Add extra requirements. You might have what you got, but what you got ain't Christianity. Add something to the gospel, and you've actually taken away from the gospel. Add something to the gospel, and you've lost the gospel. And what we saw is that you cannot compel what the scripture doesn't demand. And the troublemakers in verse 1 and verse 5 have been corrected and the contention is now resolved. And as we saw last week, genuine faith in Jesus brings gospel unity. Genuine faith in Jesus brings gospel unity. Now that doesn't mean that everyone is going to be happy and everyone's going to submit to it. But if an individual has genuine faith in Jesus, then they will be a part of a group that are completely unified. But <clears throat> how was this conclusion to this important issue going to be communicated abroad when they don't have no BBC news, they don't have internet, they don't have email facility, how are they going to communicate this important and vital message that we thank the Lord has continued to be carefully communicated right throughout the centuries, even to this point as we sit and stand here today. Well, they're going to communicate it in two ways. First of all, by the testimony of faithful men. Look at verse 22. It says, then it seemed, Acts 15, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Now, this is the church where? In Jerusalem, because this is where the, the summit took place. All of them decided to choose men from among them and send them where? To the church that's in Antioch, which was the, probably the only other mega church at this time. And they sent these selected men with Paul and Barnabas, who were originally from Antioch, they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas. Now, Judas is a Greek rendering of a Hebrew name, which is Judah. And he's Judah, a.k.a. Barsabbas, or the son of Sabbas, which is Hebrew. So clearly a, a Jewish brother, probably Hebrew-speaking, and then we have Silas, Silas being short for Silvanus, which is Latin, and is a Greek or Gentile name. Probably Silas was a Roman citizen, a Greek speaker. So we've got one Jewish speaker, if you like, and then we've got one Greek speaker, which was probably strategic on the Church of Jerusalem's part. Knowing that they were going from Jerusalem, which was a predominantly Jewish church, to the church in Antioch, which is a predominantly Gentile church. It's beautiful. Both of them, it says in verse 22, are significant men. They're leading men among the brothers. They got clout, probably heard of. When people see them coming, when the, church, the individuals in the church in Antioch saw them coming, they'd be like, oh. They, could, they, know, they knew who they were possibly from a distance. They were leading men. They, they were men of notoriety in the church circles. Silas will later on become a very close companion of the Apostle Paul. So Paul and Barnabas, along with these two leaders from the Jerusalem church, they leave verse 23. It says, with the following... With the following, what? Letter. See, they write them a letter. And notice, 
brethren to brethren. It's brothers to brothers. First of all, they're going to send a man them. So they're going to be there to, to articulate exactly what happened at the conference. And they're leading men at that. Plus, they have a letter. Two ways they're going to communicate exactly what has taken place and validify the decision that was made in Jerusalem. And notice I said, brother to brother, verse 23, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers, this is the introduction of the letter, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Now, the believers in Antioch, as I said, these leading men, they leave Jerusalem and they go down, even though it's north, they're going down because it's much higher above sea level in Jerusalem. They go down to Syrian Antioch. And not only to the church that's at Antioch, but also believers in, the, in, in that area, in that Syrian area. Because you suspect that if there's a big church there, they're going to be effectively reaching out to their surroundings, right? But not only to the church that was in Antioch, but also it was necessary for them to communicate the contents of this letter also to those who were over in a place called Cilicia. Now, Cilicia is just a, a compound name for the whole region of southern asia minor which is modern day turkey so you see where you see, you see the journey of this letter because and, and we know that it had to go to these particular places because where did paul and barnabas just come back from on their first missionary journey we've been looking at it for weeks that whole area is where they've actually traveled and communicated the gospel. So it's vital now that these individuals, these churches, are brought up to speed. Verse 24. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from among us and troubled you with words. See, we're sending you this letter the churches that are in this particular area were sending you this letter because we heard that some persons, check it, have gone out from us. And rather than being a blessing and a benefit, they've gone out from us and they've troubled you. Talking things that they ought not to talk. Look, he says, troubled you with words. Chatting things they shouldn't be chatting. Saying things that are not building you up but are actually contributing to tearing you down they've troubled you with words unsettling your minds now you most of you are looking at me i would hope that you'd be looking at verse 24 troubled you and unsettled your you ever yeah you, you ever been in a place where your mind has been unsettled particularly from individuals who are supposed to be bringing you comfort i remember for a, a particular portion of, of my life as a Christian, rather than going to church and being benefited and built up, I was being torn down. I mean, I was, I was left in a daze of confusion, hearing things that, that really didn't line up with the scriptures, and it left me so confused. It was God in his mercy and in his grace that kept me sane. And I'm sure many of you have a, same, have a similar testimony. See, and what was the fundamental reason for my mind being unsettled and for me to be troubled? Well, it was because of words. Words that were not wholesome. Jesus said, Matthew 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You get the impression that God's words like food, supposed to build you up. Now, we know that sometimes God's word will knock you down. You know what I mean? It says in Jeremiah, <laughs> it says, it's not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And God will, God will knock us over sometimes with his word. But in, sometimes, like in Jeremiah, at the beginning of Jeremiah, it says sometimes you have to tear down in order to build up. But the tearing down that was happening, there weren't no building up. 
in Amin. And this is what is happening, or this is what had happened. No wonder they called this massive summit of the leaders to say, you know, we need to. This is a serious issue that we need to deal with and respond to, in order that the gospel is preserved, like it says in Jude. Now notice, just because verse twenty-four they went out from us, doesn't mean that they were of us. You see that? Now, in a different place, in a different context, but a similar concept in John's first epistle, John's first epistle, put my, teeth, put my teeth back in, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, John says, they went out from, and this is another letter, it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are that they all are not of us and in similar fashion these who unsettled the minds of the gentiles remember they were the judaizers they were the circumcision party remember troublemakers as paul refers to them in galatians chapter 1 verse 7 he says but there are some, and you know the book of Galatians, I've been encouraging you to read Galatians as we go through Acts 15, because Galatians speaks considerably to what is happening in that particular time frame. It was round about that time that Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Why? Because the book of Galatians is a polemic against false doctrine. You know what I'm saying? It's Paul's response to, them, to, 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 to those who were teaching error. And he writes to the Galatians, doesn't he? Remember, Galatia is the same area, Cilicia. He writes to them and he says, what? He says I can't believe it. What has happened? That, do you, that you are so quickly removed from that which I communicated to you. Remember? And... In Galatians 1 verse 7, he says, look, there are some among you who trouble you. And you see what they want to do? They want to distort the gospel of Christ. In chapter 5 verse 10, he says, but you know what? I have confidence in the Lord <laughs> that you will take no other view than the one that I've given you. Not because he's given it, but because Paul's view was right. Remember, he had to stand up to Peter, as we saw, and correct Peter. In the same book. And he says, you know what? It's not just that it's mine, but this is the, the gospel of Christ. And the one who is troubling you, they will bear their penalty, whoever they are. Troublers. Troublemakers. See? And they're saying in this letter, it wasn't because of our influence that they come and trouble you. They came out from us, but trust me, they're not of us. Or at least while they hold to that opinion. We would hope that some of them change their perspective. And it's not that the apostles are hating on this group. They're actually loving this group. But clearly communicating the truth. And that's what we have to do, don't we? And the scripture says we have to communicate the truth. But may God help us to do it in love. Because I know when I'm wrong, and I mean, and you step to me, it's harder for me to receive it when it ain't in love. And I know the same is true for you. But if I know that you love me, someone said, is it people don't care what you have to say until they know that you care. Yeah, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. You know what I mean? And they were being very caring in speaking the truth and communicating the truth. And they said, this group never come from us. On the, on the contrary, he said, they said, we gave them no instructions. So the apostles want to make it clear that they isolate this group from themselves. Verse 25, it, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord or the place of agreement, to choose men and send them to you. So they've communicated in the letter. We're letting you know by, you know what I'm saying, this letter that we've handwritten. But also we're going to send these men to you. So the apostles, they didn't authorize one group, but now they endorse this sent group, right? Which is Paul and Barnabas and also Judas and Silas. That other group that came and was telling you that you, you must be circumcised and you must keep the law of Moses. We're not, not, 
We're not, we're not backing that group. But we, we are endorsing this small group that are coming now to you with this letter. It says, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who would not only deliver this letter, but confirm verbally what it contained. Verse 26 through 28. Men, these men, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are not hurry come up, you know what I mean, just any and anybody. These are individuals that have given their lives. I mean, Paul, we saw a few weeks ago, was stoned. Was it in Lystra? Their bay. Stoned. I suspect that Paul really believed the message that he was communicating. Because he got up after they prayed for him and he went back, he went straight back into the same city. I mean, talk about, I mean, my man is raggle with it in the sense that you lay your life down. Paul, I mean, it's an important message we suspect that you're communicating. But, but man, do you have to go that far? You have to go that far. Well, even to the point of laying down, laying down your life. Standard. Listen, you, you don't understand, for me to live is this gospel. For me to live is the saviour, you know what I'm saying, who laid down his life. That's now my life. He says, I'm crucified with Christ in Galatians 2. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. How can you expect anything different? You'd be like, whoa, okay, safe. I feel you, Paul. Forevermore, Paul says, for me to die is gain. I mean, he's a serious brother. He's serious about this. Brothers who have risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the gospel. Verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you, that is the Gentile converts to Christianity. It says to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And we talked about that. Verse 29 and this is the list of requirements, and they're not laws, as we'll see. It says that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality or sexual uncleanness. All four of these listed have strong connections, as we saw, to heathen idolatry and temple worship. These were not rules they had to keep, but liberties that they ought to forfeit. You can listen to last week's message and get some clarity on that. See, they, they were encouraged to do this in order not to unnecessarily offend their Jewish brothers. Because if you keep your souls from these, it's the end of the letter, you will do well. Farewell. Fare ye well, King James. So, there we have the contents of the letter. Look at verse 30. So, when they were sent off with the letter, presumably, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I mean, these Gentile converts. Remember, the church in Antioch is popping. And unlike the church in Jerusalem, it's predominantly filled with Gentiles, and they're rejoicing. <laughs> Again, as I said, particularly demand them that they don't have to be circumcised. But no. You know what I'm saying? Not just for that reason. Because you know, if you love God, you do anything that you, need, that you have to do, right? Right? <laughs> See, all the ladies, yeah, amen. Because <laughs> they don't have this issue to deal with. And we're going to see this turned on its head when we get to chapter 16. Because we're going to see Paul do something that seems to contradict this letter. Right, so that's a, that's a, you know, any film that comes out, comes out with a preview nowadays, right? So that's a preview for next week, right? So, there we have the contents of this letter. And 
The Gentiles are encouraged in verse 31. They're, re they're rejoicing, I think more so, particularly because, you know what? We've been brought in. And nobody can't tell us that we're not one now with the Jewish Messiah. Furthermore, it's, it, we can't even call him the Jewish Messiah. He's actually the, he's the, he's the savior of the world. You know what I mean? And they're, and they're, and they're rejoicing because we're in now. And they're not being neglected. They're not being sidelined. They're not second rate. And, you know, so often, so very often we have similar things going on today. You have, you have churches that rather than just welcome people in that is into the body of Christ, welcome people in, you know what I'm saying, rather than do so just on the basis of faith in Christ, want to lay burdens on people. Are oh, you trusting Christ, but have you been baptized? Well, you need to get baptized. Scripture says that, and I'm saying, but not for salvation. And furthermore, are you baptized? Yeah, I'm baptized, man. I'm baptized. But in what name were you baptized? Was you baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or was you baptized in Jesus' name? You know what I mean? And individuals can walk out forlorn with genuine faith in Christ in their heart and walk out discouraged because they feel like, oh my gosh, I better not get hit by a car on my way home because if I die, I'm going to hell. You know what I mean? Similar things that there's, there's nothing new, the Bible says, under the sun. This stuff still continues it's just got different clothes on you know what i mean the the men die that is the judaizers but the spirit lives on you know what i mean so it says verse 32 and judas and silas who were themselves prophets i mean brothers are heavy right they were themselves prophets but i would suggest that this is prophets small p not prophets large p Prophets large P like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, Daniel, who wrote scripture, you know what I mean? And predicted the future like inerrantly, without making mistakes. This is not that type of prophet. That's big, that's prophet big P. These are prophets small P in that they were not, they were not, one, writing scripture, and two, they were not foretelling that is predicting events to happen. Now, we do see that happen in the book of Acts, but not in the same sense that we saw the writers of scripture. So I think one of the ways of really kind of just really clarifying it is foretelling, which is what <clears throat> they weren't doing, is predicting the future, but the word prophecy also means to tell forth or to forth tell as opposed to foretell. You hear the difference? So to some degrees, what I'm doing today is prophecy in the sense that I'm forth telling God's word. I'm not predicting something. I'm telling you what has already been said, right? So in that sense, it can be defined as, as prophecy telling forth or proclaiming so prophets those who inspire to predict future events is one thing big p but then small p those who proclaim the word of god to speak prophetically can mean both but you just have to get the context right and look it says what they did you see judas and silas who themselves were prophets encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words which is what i hope would be taking place in your life even right now 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So, verse 32. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophet, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Verse 33. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace. Who's the they? Well, we're going to see. They were sent off in peace by the brothers in Antioch, that is, to those in Jerusalem who had sent them. So they're kind of sending them back now, right? Now, as we come to it, 
Verse 34, if, you're not, if you didn't know, because you might be holding a, a King James or you might be holding a New King James, verse 34 is omitted from many modern translations. How many of you, if you just wouldn't mind putting your hand up, how many of you are using an ESV, an NIV, an NASB, or an RSV? Okay, we've got, okay, we got less than I thought. Right? Now, the verse number is there in those translations that I just mentioned, but the words are not. Now, you notice that. All right, then. Now, this is how it looks if you have an ESV. Verse 32, it's there. Verse 33, it's there. Oops, where's verse 34? Misprint. No. Then verse 35. Now, some of the, I think some of the, the newer translations may possibly, the newer editions, I should say, of those translations may have it there in brackets. But I know, I've got, I got, I got an ESV. And in mine, which is one, actually one of the earlier editions, it doesn't have verse 34 in there. It has the number, but no words. Is that true for some of you guys? All right. Now, that's how it looks in that translation. This is how it looks in the New King James Version, right? Verse 32, 33. Oh, lo and behold, it's verse 34, and then verse 35. And you keep reading, and you wouldn't even blink. One very popular translation has it, and another very popular translation doesn't. Now, who would question whether or not a verse should or shouldn't be in the Bible? You'd be like, boy. I know in Revelation it says, you know what? Be careful. You know what I mean? Add into the scriptures, because God will add to your judgment in hell, right? And then on the other hand, it says, be careful that you don't take away. So it come, it's coming like a catch-22. You ever seen a Mexican standoff where two cars are, are, are coming down like a road and there's, there's, it's only wide enough for, for one, road, one car? And no one ain't backing out. No one ain't, no, um, you move back. You reverse back. How can I reverse back? I've got ten cars behind me and you ain't got none. You reverse back, right? You know, Mexican standoff, right? Why am I trying to qualify? Everybody knows what a Mexican standoff is, right? Well, you'd be like, man, this sounds this isn't like... The, uh, uh. For me, it's in there, so I'm not backing up. Well, you know what? For me, it's not in there, and it's not in there for a reason, and I'm not backing up, so what? Well, with regard to this issue... There are those that say one thing for a particular reason. There are those that say, an, say another thing for another reason. To be fair to the translators of our Bibles, they do make it clear that there, that there are discrepancies. But you have to look sometimes quite carefully to spot them. And clear explanations are not always easy to find. Notice I say clear explanations. And because we as a church are at a place where we're trying to find, you know what I'm saying, the, the best translation that's available. Notice I say the best because there is no perfect translation. You know what I mean? Now don't hear that and then start to worry, you know what I'm saying, that I'm saying that the Bible is no longer inerrant. You know what I mean? No. Because obviously we're reading a translation of the original. Now, clear explanations are not always hard to find. And I think, just, I think for me to have just skipped over this wouldn't have been fair to us as a church. I don't think it's been fair to myself because I was like, wow, that, that causes so many questions to come up in my mind. You know what I mean? And would, would you believe so many of the commentaries that I've been reading about this particular issue, they just skim over it. And in some quarters, it's not even an issue. But then in some other areas and, and environments, this becomes a big issue. I know it is for me. You know why? Because we have invested a lot of time, effort, and energy in preaching and teaching in Jamaica. We're wanting to see the... I say we're wanting to. We've sensed that the Lord is wanting us to be involved in the building up of the ministry in Jamaica. 
And I tell you, if I ever draw out a translation, whether it's right or wrong, and telling people, oh, don't worry about that verse, that verse that you've got in there that you've been reading for years and years and years actually ain't in the Bible, you must want them to throw me out. I mean, they already got a problem because I'm an accent and the fact that I might be standing there in jeans. They and then I'm going to come and tell them that, oh, by the way, that Bible that you've no, it's not really the real thing. Now, I'm not saying that that may not necessarily have to be communicated, but I say to myself, Lord, I need real clarity, you know what I mean, in order that we can help people if that is the case with regard to that matter. Now, I don't want to take more time than I need to on this, but the challenge proves to be difficult. And so without skimming the issue, let's not neglect the issue, but I can't deal completely with the issue today. Is that okay? We probably need to do a small series on the topic at some point next year. And the topic is called textual criticism. Textual criticism. Now, let me come at this from what I believe is an unbiased angle. Based on, not my personal perspective or persuasion, because I grew up on the King James. When I first got saved, boom, enough of the verses are, are memorizing King James. Like James 2, wherefore, brethren, lay apart all filthiness and all superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word of God which is able to save your soul, King James. Now what on earth is superfluity of naughtiness? I don't, but that's what I grew up on and that's what I memorized it in and what, that's the word of God. Now, I may not understand what it means now, you know what I mean? And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so good to teach our children scripture because they may not understand one word, but it's in their heart and they'll be sitting down somewhere, hopefully in church at some point and someone will mention that and it comes alive. It's like the seed that's planted that's not germinated yet. But when it begins to burst and come forth, life, you know what I mean? And if that grows, it becomes a tree that's rock solid and foundational in their lives, you know what I mean? I'm saying, I ain't trying to hate on a King James. Are you nuts? I mean, oh, we ain't got time. Based on, not a personal perspective, right? But based on the agreed aspects of the text. Say that again based on the agreed aspects of the text. See, both ancient manuscripts from which we get these two translations, just to keep it simple, yeah, differ on verse 34, but agree with the surrounding text. Like I said, verse 32, 33, and 35, there ain't no argument over. They're both there in both of the, both of the manuscripts. Now, it is said that this verse, that is 34, doesn't fit here. And I think the fact that it's not there makes you think, well, why did they say that it's not there and it doesn't fit? And not only does it not fit here, it actually contradicts the previous verse. Now, wouldn't it seem arrogant for someone to say that? Yeah. These kind of statements make me tremble. And it causes us to feel a bit cowardice when the, when the Muslims come boring in chatting about how come you got so much translations of the Bible? How can, they, how can it be true when none of them don't agree? Now that's a stupid statement because that's not true. But it makes you a bit nervous, isn't it? Now let's look at the agreed aspects of the text. Both New King James and ESV, right, agree. I'll just show you, yeah. So, we saw the two different texts there, right? Verse 32, 33, and 35. They both agree. Now, look at verse 32 and 33 again, and notice the phrasing, and I want you to, I want you to walk with me. Now, we just read it, but watch. Verse 32. It says, and Judas... Now, what have you got there? And Judas and Silas who are the individuals in question, right? 
who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Now, who is it talking about? It, Judas and Silas, verse 33. And after they spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. Right? Oh, I should have showed you this one. That's what I should have showed you. It's the same thing, but they both agree. Whichever of them you want to look at. Now, if they, that is Judas and Silas, were sent away, how many of them remained? Right, let me say that again. If they, remember there's only two of them. If they, that is Judas and Silas, were sent away, how many of them remained? None. None of them would have remained. Now, isn't that what the text is saying? In both of the translations. It doesn't say one of them was sent away. It says they, which is plural. And there's only two of them. Verse 33 seems to clearly indicate that they, that is Judas and Silas, were both sent off. And this is consistent, as I said, in both translations. But then verse 34 the verse in question, in the New King James, seems to challenge verse 33. Let me just put it back. Verse 33 says, they, they, they. And then verse 44 says, but one of them remained. And I only highlight it because evidently, scholars better than you and me have determined that that verse has been added. See? And the only reason I take issue with this verse is because it's missing from important manuscripts, from some of the most valued, even older manuscripts. One particularly called Check It the critical text which is the name for one of these manuscripts from which it is missing and it's called the critical text from which we get the ESV the NIV the RSV the NASB but then the New King James Version has verse 34 which is the verse in question and because some of the older manuscripts do not contain this verse and many of us use the New King James Version, I felt that I had to mention it. Now, I said I'm not dealing with it. We're not even scratching the surface of this argument. If I begin to, I mean, there's words I can't even pronounce that contribute to this argument. You know what I'm saying? Now, have a look. If you have a New King James or a King James, have a look at the center column reference. Now, sometimes we don't use this part of our Bible, but it's there and it's really helpful. If, you, if you've got a Bible and it ain't got one of them, I encourage you to get one that has. And even if you can, get a good study Bible that, that, that doesn't just have the center column reference, but then has also added aids to benefit your understanding. So if you do have a New King James, have a look. In, in the center column reference, if you look at verse 34, I'm just trying to find it real quick. 15, 34. Right, can you see that it's got a little number next to the however? Right? Now, if you follow that, if you follow that, if you follow 34 into the center column reference, go down till you come to 34, which, is, which corresponds with the verse. Right, you see one, which corresponds to the one next to the however, and it says N-U-M, omit verse 34. N-U-M, omit verse 34. That basically means your New King James translation or translator is telling you that <clears throat> the N-U, which is code for the critical text, omits that verse. I'm saying, I'm saying it, the information's there, but you have to look carefully. Now, I think that I would go with the critical text on this one. That's my personal opinion. And not the textus receptus, which is the received text, which is, which, which is the text 
the manuscript that the New King James Version is taken from. And not to completely undermine your faith in that version, the authorized version, and I just want to use this as an example, makes mistakes. The King James Version, because it is, I would say that the King James Version is still one of the best versions available. Now that might sound like a contradiction, but I would say it's, it's still one of the best versions available because it's, it's what the scholars call a formal translation or a literal translation, which is, which is really close to the original. Unlike what they call a dynamic equivalence, different from a formal translate a dynamic equivalence like the NIV which is translated thought for thought as opposed to word for word so in that sense I would say the King James is a better translation if you're studying but to show you an unhelpful mistranslation in the King James classic in Genesis chapter 22 the King James version states that verse 1 and it came to pass after these things that God did what he tempted, or God did tempt Abraham, and said unto Abraham, and, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, I am here, right? The verse says that God tempted Abraham, right? Same translation, James chapter 1 says, Let not man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. But wait a minute, Genesis 22 says that God tempted Abraham. But James says, No, 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 don't say. It's like the Bible's arguing with the Bible. It could seem. Because James says, no. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Same translation. Right? <clears throat> it's just a bad translation, that's all. It's not evil. It's just that where they use the word tempt in Genesis 22... The word actually is better translated what? Tested. Tested. So I'm saying, so this is just a, just, just a, a simple example. And I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to... <clears throat> I would rather read the King James than the NIV. Yet the NIV is a translation I'm saying is a better translation in the sense that they drop verse 34. So, and you know, and not to be just biased against the King James, the ESV and the NIV, I've got issue with too. But I love both of them. <laughs> Is that mutually exclusive? I don't know. The ESV and the NIV omit certain verses like Acts 15.34, but then leaves others. I mean, big portions of other scripture, like at the end of Mark chapter 16. At the end of Mark chapter 16, I mean, it ain't just one verse. It's a whole bag of verses. But watch the joke. <clears throat> at the end of verse 8, in the ESV, it's really helpful because it's, it gives you a big kind of like statement. It says in, in capital letters, it says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include the following verses. And it's verse 9 right through to verse 19. And they say it's not in the manuscript from which this is taken. But my problem is then why are you putting it in there then? You look at verse 34 in Acts chapter 15, why are you going to leave that one in there? That confuses me. Now, I heard something that I cannot substantiate, so don't quote me. Now, you know, I would get myself in trouble. Let me not even make that statement. But I'm saying, <laughs> but I'm saying that that could be slightly confusing. Why take one out for good reason, but then for the same reason, not take out another portion? And that's Acts chapter 16, sorry, that's Mark 16, and also, we haven't got time, but it's in, in John chapter 8 as well, with a woman that was caught in an act of adultery, ESV, or should I say the translation, not ESV, the translation for which the ESV is taken, the critical text, it's not in there. 
So you see that I'm not hating on one and not the other. I'm saying that there potentially can be issues that cause us to say, hmm, what's really going on here? And issues that we don't need to duck or deflect, stuff we need to wrestle over and come to terms with with regard to the reasons why. And as I said, we don't have time. I've taken, what, 15, 20 minutes trying to do it some justice. But now, as I said, <clears throat> this is an issue we need to talk more about, uh, more about. The important thing to know at this point is these omissions slash additions, quote unquote, right? They don't contradict any major biblical doctrines. We, we need to be absolutely crystal clear on this. These omissions slash additions don't contradict any major biblical doctrines. We can become guilty of majoring on minors and then minoring on the majors. I know that's not grammatically correct, but you, you know what I'm saying. And the major thing is not verse 34. It's the letter. The hand, the carefully handwritten, the carefully constructed letter that says so much more. The major thing, not the minor, the major thing. This is what we do have confidence in. This letter, verse 23 to 29, if there were contradictions in the main point of this chapter, which talks about how we are saved, then we would be in trouble. But no, this letter that goes to the churches is valid. I thank the Lord that in this fact, all the translations agree without contradiction. Another thing we can be clear about is verse 35 as we conclude. Regardless of what happened with Judas and Silas and who went and who stayed at this point, verse 35 says, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. And that's what's important. Because the word of the Lord ain't unclear. Whether my man went or he didn't come. What, you're going to throw your Bible out the window because of that? Nah, come on now. What about the more important issue, the bigger issues? Like, how can a person be saved? There ain't no contradiction on that. I thank the Lord that there isn't. And this is what Paul and Barnabas continue to do as they remained in Antioch. Next week, we're going to see more drama. As Paul and Barnabas have a Barney. They have a falling out. <laughs> Paul and Barney have a Barney. Acts 15 is coming like EastEnders, man. Pay a drama. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's, it's stimulating and it's scintillating. Thank you, Father, that you give us a heart that's committed to understanding Lord, the simple don't understand. But we know if as simple people we give our hearts to understanding, then you bring light. Thank you, Father. The entrance of your word brings light and it gives understanding to the simple, the scripture says. And so we pray that you do that. You'd continue to illuminate our understanding and help us to major on the majors and not the minors. Because they'd be like little rabbit trails that would take us off on some tangent. Father, thank you. You're great. How on earth did you communicate your truth in the way that you did? Through men. The Holy Spirit moved on individuals. And they wrote under that inspiration. Amazing. So many different authors at different times. Yet none of it contradicts. Amazing. Your Lord, you're great. You're great. And we are grateful for the fact that we got this message. In that we, and the furthest, the far-flung corners of the, the, the earth, at least as they relate to Jerusalem, which is where this summit took place. We now, two millennia from that time, 2,000 years from that time, we're able to look at that 
that word that has not been corrupted to the point where we look and look, all of us in here are Gentiles who have been saved by grace, not need to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses. Yet we realize in so many areas we need not to use our liberty as an occasion to sin. Thank you. And we pray that you continue just to teach us and instruct us and build us up, Lord. For Jesus' sake, amen.